0: Welcome to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. Here at Fremont, we create space for people to become lifelong followers of Jesus and we relentlessly pursue his transformation of our neighborhood, our city, and the world. Here's today's message
1: In your bulletin, you'll find today's Bible scripture, Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 you may follow along with that or if you'd like to take out your bible either way colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23 he that is the son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation, under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God.
2: Would you uh, pray with me as we get started? Gracious God, we we thank you for these words, this extraordinary passage of scripture, the way that it points us to who your son is. And I pray this morning as we uh, turn to these words that you would speak to us, that you would direct our hearts and minds to the kind of praise and worship and adoration that your son Jesus is so richly deserving of. We ask that you would speak to us this morning and change us and shape us by these words, in Jesus' name, Amen. So we continue this morning in our series going through the book of Colossians, and uh, fifteen through twenty-three. This is an extraordinary passage. I was told uh, years ago, early in ministry, that I really shouldn't have favorite parts of the Bible. I don't really know why, uh, but. I confess, I have favorites. And this passage is absolutely uh, one that is a favorite of mine and one that I return to uh, week in and week out as I consider who Jesus is for us. There are a few passages that move me to praise him There are a few passages that that remind me of the the goodness of the redemption and salvation that we have in him and that give me such solid hope for the future as these verses in Colossians 1, not only my own future, but uh, the future of all things. It is one of the Christological high points of the New Testament, these passages that are so rich about who Jesus is and who he is for us. So I've had the privilege and joy to to be considering and, and meditating on. Uh, these verses the past few weeks. So I I hope you'll come along and see not, not only the beauty of these words, but the beauty of the Savior whom they are about. These verses, 15 uh, through 20 especially, our, our passage today is 15 through 23, but 15 through 20 especially seem to be, uh, a lot of scholars agree, have originated as an ancient hymn or an uh, early creed of the church. So It's one of the reasons we found it fitting uh, for us today to recite the Apostles' Creed together. It seems as though Paul is pulling from the worship songs of his audience or a creed that they would have been familiar with and and using that to to form their view of Christ, right? Hymns and creeds, these things have a formative effect on us. They teach us and shape us and they become uh, the very words that we sing or say to and about God. So Paul is using the familiar to continue to shape his audience, the the, the, the believers in the Colossian church, uh, that these words, these words about Christ would become as familiar as our favorite hymns, our favorite songs. And we would be able to internalize them so deeply in our hearts and minds that everything about us would be changed and that we would be able to truly uh, in everything, give Jesus the proper place that he deserves. And we see that in this passage. Now, if you've been coming the last couple of weeks, you've been following along in Colossians 1 with us, this may seem like a strange digression. Last week, we talked about Paul's prayer for the the believers in this church, and all of a sudden, now we had this ancient hymn. But uh, this really, this comes right after Paul's commendation in verse 10, to grow in the knowledge of of God, that's what he prayed for for the believers, that they would grow in the knowledge of God. So you may be wondering, how can we know God? How can we grow in this knowledge? For Paul, the answer is simple: we look to his son. We look to the, his son, that is Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God made flesh, and in Him, these verses tell us the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We see that God reveals himself to us through his son, Jesus. You want to know God? We look to Jesus. Jesus understood this about himself in John fourteen seventeen. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. These are the words of Christ. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. So Paul points us to Jesus saying this is who he is. It's not a digression or a tangent, but the means by which we grow in our knowledge of God. He's forming us into a people who have a proper understanding and knowledge of God through Christ. And if we know Jesus truly and fully, we give him this proper place in our lives, then this should change everything. This is our main idea this morning. In your bulletins on the second page, there's kind of an outline and notes uh, with this main idea. I confess that when I submitted the outline to uh, print in the bulletin on Wednesday, since then, I've changed the order of things so I hope it's not con- too confusing. We're going to swap two and three. So we'll get to those later. Uh, but our, our main idea is this. When we give Jesus this proper place in our hearts and minds and our lives, when we have this proper understanding of, of him, this changes everything. It changes our view of all of creation and the world. Changes our view of God's redemptive plan and salvation. It changes our view of ourselves. We'll see these things. So it changes our, our, our view of, of, of the world, of creation. Changed up by the reality of what we see of Jesus in this text. As you read these verses, we see that this passage places Jesus Christ far and above all things. All of creation, everything in the universe, Jesus is above it. And it feels like a rapid fire explanation of Jesus. And it's easy to glance over these, these quick assertions that are made about him. But Paul's desired effect should be clear. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is awesome. We should be stunned by this savior and what these verses say about him. So let's dig in and see what Paul is, how he's directing us to the greatness of Christ. This is verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This image, this, this word image carries with it this idea of something that looks like or represents something else. The ancient idea of an image was often, uh, that word image was used to describe objects that were made to represent gods. They became objects of worship because they made visible an invisible God. And Paul is saying that the son, Jesus, he perfectly reflects the father, perfectly reveals the father, this invisible God now made visible when Christ took on flesh. Something only a divine son could do perfectly. This image is different. He was a person. And when we, like I said, when we want to know God, we look to his son because Jesus images, he shows us who God is. A major question of the day is where can we see this invisible God? If he's invisible, how can we see him? How can we know him? And Paul's answer is clear. It is in Jesus, not in a man-made temple or through some religious icon, but in the sun. Paul makes a, a similar assertion about Jesus being the image of God in 2 Corinthians. And he goes on, he talks about Jesus as the image of God in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. And then in verse 6, he says this, uh, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do You see, in the face of Jesus Christ, this is how God is revealing himself to us. So Jesus is the uh, image of the invisible God. And the verse continues, verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. What does this mean? It's a, a way of talking about Jesus's supreme position and authority over everything else. It's a way of talking about his rank over everything else. Firstborn has this connotation of supremacy over everything. I am a firstborn, so I understand this. Yeah, other first ones, you know, we're we're the best. Thank you. Uh, Carol's shaking her head. (laughs) But it it was a way to talk about rank and authority. It's not uh, meant to say that Jesus was somehow created first. Now we see later in the passage, Jesus, the son was not created, but was with God in the beginning But this this son, his position is one of authority relative to everything else. Jesus perfectly reflects God and he is supreme over all created things. Now, this is a big, bold assertion about Christ that Paul makes. So how can he say this? Well, the evidence that he gives for this is in verse 16. This is the evidence. It'll be on the screen. For by him, that is Jesus Christ, for by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You see, this is Christ's supreme role in creation. How can we say that he is the firstborn? He has a a rank of supremacy over everything. We can say that because it was by him and through him and for him that all things were made. And see how it talks about uh, visible things, invisible or heaven and earth, rulers and dominions and thrones, all of these things. That is a way to say that Christ's work in creation was comprehensive. When it says all things, it means everything. All of God's creative work was done in terms of or in a reference to Christ. All things were made through him, meaning that Christ acted with God in the work of creation. A work of creation that we would say could only be done by God, which leads us to this conclusion that Christ is truly God. All things were made for him, meaning that Christ is the reason for all of God's creative work. The creation declaring the glory of God. That thus, the glory that belongs to God also belongs to Jesus, our creator and our Lord. Those first two sentences, uh, excuse me, those first, these first two verses, all of these statements about Christ and, and creation and, and him being uh, the, the, the kind of agent of creation, all of these things are linked way back to the beginning in Genesis 1. Before creation and in creation. And Paul stands in the present moment and he looks back at creation and looks at the praiseworthy work of Christ in all of the universe. And then verse 17 bridges eternity past with our present today. Verse 17 says this, And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. This points us to the reality that Jesus was there in the beginning, pre-existing with God for eternity past. And and and, and if that is uh, strange or um, hard to wrap your mind around, uh, I'm right there with you. I think that's okay, but it is this intensifying, cumulative effect to say Jesus is supreme greater than we can possibly imagine and comprehend. That was the past. And now in him, all things hold together. This is the present. All things now, right now in this room, hold together. Everything in our universe holds together because of Jesus, because he continues to do so. You and I, we live and move and breathe because Jesus keeps this all going from all of us here in this room to the furthest reaches of our universe Jesus holds it together this is this is our our this is really why this first point is our first point Jesus changes the way that we view the world and everything in all of creation with him at the center you heard similar language to this in our call to worship Hebrews chapter one, the author talks about uh, Jesus in really similar terms. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That sounds like Colossians 1, 15. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe. Without him, gravity would cease. That's for the physics professor here. Without him, the planets would not stay in their orbit. Jesus upholds all things. The, the professor is nodding his head, by the way. Um, so I'm, I'm right on there. This is a stunning, startling claim that the engine of the universe is not some ethereal spirit. It is not some faraway God. It is not some philosophical ideal that maybe an ancient person uh, would have, would have understood the universe as. No, what holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue. It is a person, the resurrected Jesus Christ. The the claim is that this person holds the universe together and that this person was a guy who just recently lived and was crucified by the Romans. That That is stunning. That is an extraordinary claim that Paul is making in these verses. And if all of this is true about Jesus and his place in creation, then we really need to pause and think about the way we understand the world, the way that we uh, view all things. And ask ourselves, do we live in a way that recognizes Jesus as the center, upholding all things even now? Do we really understand our world in that way? Why does Paul feel the need to go to such great lengths to describe Christ and his supremacy in this way? Well, he knows the struggles that the Colossian church has had. Colossians 2 verse 8, we, we looked at this last week, but I think it's a real key verse to understanding what Paul is up against with these believers and how he's trying to help shape and form them. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So these, these, these early believers, they, it seems as though they had a worldview that was faulty, that had God and other things, God and other forces or idols, false gods in the world. They were giving themselves over to philosophical traditions that did not understand the universe with Jesus at the center. Now, I am not saying philosophy is bad, uh, it, 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 but any way of understanding the world that is not centered on Christ will ultimately fail, right? This is, this is what Paul is getting at. We, we need to shape our entire view of the world around this person. So he's using these verses to confront and dismantle all other faulty worldviews that his audience, that we have. Anything that gave supremacy to something other than Jesus, the picture that's been on my mind this week as I think about uh, the, the way that I view the world, or the way that I kind of understand my worldview, right? Our worldview, all this stuff that informs the way that I think about day to day and the big and small things is, is of this, uh, of a shelf. I have a shelf in my mind and all of the things that make up my worldview are on the shelf and God and Jesus are there, but it's also my culture. Uh, I, I'm, I'm Western American. I'm, you know, California, that kind of thing. My family traditions, maybe political background, right? All of these things are on a shelf next to each other. Um, and, and, or maybe, maybe for some of us, it's increasingly, uh, common new age ideas that, that sneak into our vocabulary. Have you ever, um, um, thought that the universe wants to give you something, whatever that means? Um, the idea of manifesting—this is a very common way to think about the world. Manifesting—if I—if I can believe something strongly enough, then 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 the universe will give it to me. Or um, um, the the superficial idea of uh, a, a, a superficial understanding, I should say, of of an idea like karma—that uh, what goes around comes around, and that's how everything keeps going. Or maybe you believe that luck is just how the universe goes round, right? Uh, I've really tried to uh, stop saying uh, good luck in my vocabulary uh, because it seems to me to betray some, some belief in something that is beyond the one who holds all things together. And, th- and that's this is like a small thing. Don't say good luck. Okay, whatever. But this is like the fundamental ways that we look at the world, If these verses in Colossians 1 are true, then we need to completely rethink that worldview shelf. There are things that we need to take off the shelf completely and things that we need to put in their proper priority. Our cultural backgrounds and traditions and and our vocation and all of that, that should be subordinate to the one who stands above all things. Our understanding of the world and how we live and move through our day-to-day lives should first and foremost flow from a knowledge and a relationship with Jesus. And then there are things, then there are the things in which we find our hope that we need to take off the shelf completely. The universe does not grant us wishes. The universe serves Jesus. Good luck is not working, it's superstitious magic for us. Jesus is holding all things together. So what are the things in which we put our hope? The things that get our attention and our worship, the things that have uh, seeped into our day-to-day language and conversation, and how can we look at that and make sure that Jesus is a proper place in our hearts and our minds, this place of central importance, authority, supremacy for each one of us. This is, this is hard. Uh, 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 a shedding of these cultural ideologies is a process for us. But that's Paul's prayer that we looked at last week, that we would grow, growing is a continual process, that we would over time increasing in our knowledge of God. And understanding that Jesus this way, when we fully, truly can, can give him this place, this changes how we view all things, but it also changes how we, and this is the next few verses and our next point, how we understand God's plan for redemption. This is the heart of God. Look at verses 18, 19, and 20. These are amazing, amazing statements. It says this, and he, he is the, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The one of whom it is said he upholds all things, he upholds the universe. He is also the head of the church. Do you see now it has become personal. This is This is you and me. Jesus is supreme in the universe, but he is also the good shepherd of his people. He is God come down, taking on flesh to live among us. The very presence of God, no longer dwelling in a temple, but in a person. The fullness of God, it says. And by sacrificing himself for us, it says that he has become the firstborn from the dead. Similar to this idea of firstborn of creation. What does this mean? Firstborn of the dead. It's, it's, it's his rank and authority over this. Uh, Thomas Schreiner, a theologian, put it this way. Jesus rules over death because he was the first one to conquer it. And that is who he is. And by that death on the cross and by his resurrection, it says that God is reconciling to himself all things. He is making peace and making right everything in heaven and on earth. He is setting all things right. Through the work of Christ on the cross, God has brought his entire rebellious creation back under this sovereign rule. Of course, this peace that this passage refers to is not yet fully established in our world today. We recognize this. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where we face hard things, whether it's our own sin or tragedies in our lives. And it can be a hard thing to hear these verses that say, that say, Jesus upholds all things and then have to face the difficult trials and challenges in our lives. But I think the encouragement is this, the one who upholds all things, he is good and he sees you. And He cares about you and he loves you even in the midst of these things. We do not know God's plans. We cannot understand his ways. But it is more comforting for me to know that it is Jesus that's keeping everything going. So we look ahead to the sure and certain hope of a full and final restoration and redemption. The new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. We are welcomed into this by the blood shed for us. Jesus is the agent of creation. He is the center of everything, holding everything together. But then he became man so we could be saved. So he could take what is wrong and put it right. So that creation could be fully at peace with God and that the enemies of God could be done away with. And if this is true, that Jesus is the center of all things, supreme above all things, then why do we hope in anything else for our salvation? If the one who upholds the universe, who made everything says, I have died for you and I love you. I want you to put your faith in me. Why do we put our faith in lesser things? Why do we look to our own good deeds? Why do we look to our intellect, our good virtues, our jobs, our money, our relationships, our identity, and anything outside of Christ? Why do we think these things will save us? Paul is giving us ample evidence with which to trust the saving work of Christ because he made everything and he keeps it going and he came to make a way for us to have peace with God. If you have doubts about these things, if you have doubts about your salvation, about uh, uh, the plan of God, Paul is saying, look at he who says he saves you. Look at who he really is. And I would say doubts are okay if you have doubts, if you're curious about these things of Christianity, I encourage you to talk to someone, talk to somebody here, talk to myself or Dave, one of the elders. It's the reason why we do programs like Alpha, so we can have conversations where we can express our, our questions about the faith. But to the Colossians that were adding empty philosophy and human tradition to their understanding of salvation, Paul is saying, please stop. Trust in him who is the center of all things. I want to close uh, with these last couple of verses. Is our last uh, idea we talked about this changes our view of all of creation in the universe with so Jesus at the center. It's changed our understanding of God's plan for redemption that the one who created all things would save us. And, and last, uh, it changes changes how we view ourselves. So these are the last couple of verses, starting at verse twenty-one, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which he which has Been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So, this is our last point. Knowing Christ fully like this changes how we view ourselves. This is what Paul is getting at. We were once this, alienated and hostile in mind, rebellious against God but now this Christ who is at the center of all things has reconciled us so we can, so, so that he can present us as holy and blameless, so that we can be in relationship and have peace with God. But we need to recognize and have a proper view of ourselves, especially of ourselves apart from Christ. We are sinners. Our sin has alienated us from God. There is a rupture in that relationship, a brokenness. And for many of us, This is a a hard idea to swallow, that something I have done affects my relationship with God. But I think we kind of understand this intuitively in our day-to-day lives with other people. When someone commits a crime against you or someone, a a friend or, or a family member hurts you in some way, there's a rupture in that relationship. One of my children, I will not say who, has an intense sense of justice. They are completely bewildered at that, that someone would choose to bully or be mean or or, or 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 make a mean comment, anything like that. I mean, just total bewilderment, It's this intense uh, justice that I live with. It's uh, such a joy. Um, but I love looking at the world through uh, through his eyes um, because uh, uh, because it helps him understand this. Right? These, these are intuitive things. Um, there there are there's brokenness in this world because of our sin. And this is us. We've sinned against God. This relationship is strained and it has been broken. And we need to own this to some extent. Because I think if we don't recognize what Paul is saying, that we were alienated and hostile in mind, then we will think too highly of ourselves, too pridefully of ourselves. Remember that image of the shelf that I had earlier? For some of us, it's Jesus plus my good works. Jesus plus, you know, I'm a pretty good person. But 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We cannot fool ourselves. We have sin and it is a problem. But the passage does not end with Paul just telling us how rebellious we are. And I will not end there either. This is not where we're left we are reminded that even so, while we were still sinners, Christ made peace between us and God. This is who we are now. Once sinners far from God and now redeemed, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. Once rebels and now sons and daughters of the most high, adopted and chosen and brought into his family. If All that came before this verse is true. If Jesus is at the center of all things, creator of all things, that by which all things hold together, if this is true, and if He says of you and me, I am your Redeemer, you are saved, clean, forgiven, made new, adopted, I call you my children. If this is true, then that identity is the most important thing about us. If the one who upholds the universe says, you are a child of God, then that's what we need to hold on to because that is the most important thing about us. Our whole lives, the way we understand them should be centered first on the identity that we have in Christ, in whom all things hold together. All of those lesser labels that we have for ourselves, all of that old way of thinking, we need to put it away because the fullness of God has declared, you are a son and a daughter of his. Let this reality encourage us to continue in the faith. Right. This is the warning that Paul gives. If you continue, this is true of you. If you continue in the faith, this is this is uh, what this is about. That we would not move away from this gospel. That we would not drift from it. That we would not add to it. But that we would remain steadfast in the hope we have and in the identity that we have as children of God. So I encourage you to. Continue on in that faith and let these verses be that confidence-building, emboldening, faith-building reality for us. That this is who Jesus is and this is who we can put our hope in. Let our view, our understanding of all things, from the furthest heights of the universe to the depths of our own souls, be found first in Jesus Christ. For the one who upholds all things, the one who upholds the universe is the same one who looks at you and says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This is who he is. He is above all things, but he is right there meeting us in our need in our brokenness. And he says, here, this is for you. This is my grace and my love and my salvation. So let us continue on in this hope and in this faith. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you for these extraordinary words. Lord, let us not get over who Jesus is. Would you every day overwhelm us with the supremacy of Christ and the love and grace of Christ for us? And Lord, as we go from this place, Would you shape the way we view all things? And would you uh, uh, shape our hearts and minds to have Jesus at the center of it all? Lord, we lay down every faulty way of thinking. We lay down any lesser hope and we trust fully in you. And we know that you are good. And we thank you for this.
0: In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Fremont Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope that you were blessed by the message. You can send your questions or comments directly to us at podcast at fremontpress.org. That's podcast at fremontpress.org. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. We have classic worship in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. and modern worship in the Community Life Center at 1030 a.m. You can find the live stream of both of those services at fremontpress.org. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed to get the latest episode each week automatically. Thanks for listening.